0: Hey, Connect family, uh, PD here. So glad that you guys are with me today. All my online viewers, hey, can you just say a little hello in the chat? I love knowing you're there. Last week I asked you kind of special request. Let me know if you're there, and a bunch of you did. Some of you are still holding out. I want to hear from you, but I'm grateful for those of you who are watching online. Um, I'm a little under the weather today, and so please just bear with me. My voice might sound a little Brian Adams-ish, but I'm... I'm on the back end of something, but praise God I'm here, and uh, I'm here because of you. Now listen, we're in the second installment of a series that we started on prayer, and we've entitled it Stop Praying It's Safe. And the premise is really, uh, first of all, I'll, get to, I'll, get, I'll tell you the premise, then I'll get to kind of the, the text that we use. But the premise is basically, hey, we need to have some big, bold prayers. We need to stop praying it's safe. What would it look like to kind of pray some dangerous prayers again, as my uh, kind of mentor, Craig Rochelle, would say. And so we want to believe God big again. But we've got to know how to pray, and we need to uh, kind of get some instruction from God's Word on that. And so we took last week and spent some time on the subject of prayer. And Today, uh, I'm going to get into it a little more, but today we're going to flip it a little bit. And I want you to see how you can find safety in and through your prayers. Safety from uh, temptation and safety from, or deliverance from, from evil. Within the Lord's Prayer, which is where we'll be looking uh, in our key text today, we'll unpack uh, this particular title that uh, for today, which I've called Safety Net. How do we build a safety net in our prayer life that keeps us from temptation, falling to and pray to temptation, pray, P-R-E-Y, and, w- and keeps us from evil. Um, but our theme text for the whole series has been Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. And I'm going to give you the paraphrase version for the sake of speed. And that is you can not worry about anything, but you can go to God with everything. Remember that as you pray, God doesn't want you to worry about a thing. And He wants you to go with, go to Him with your needs. Everything that you really are dealing with in life, you can go to Him about. And you can go to Him in prayer. Let's pray actually right now as we begin. Amen. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to communicate the incorruptible truths of Scripture. Thank you that your word is powerful and living. And I pray that, um, Lord, as I speak, that the things that I say would bring uh, illumination and inspiration to the hearts and lives of those who are listening. Lord, I love you, and I know you love the people who are here in church today online. I pray a special blessing on the service in your mighty precious name, in Jesus' name. Everybody said out there, amen. Well, you know uh, the Lord's Prayer. Some of you probably do. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so on. That prayer was Jesus' response to the disciples saying, can you teach us how to pray? I think they were. It's clear from context about the text that they were observing him. And they saw something different in their Savior and how he prayed. So he gives the Lord's Prayer, not as something to recite, but as a roadmap to the how to kind of connect with God. In the latter part of the prayer, um, he makes this statement. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In a sense, for everything prior to work for you, have your needs met, find forgiveness, you know, the worshiping, just uh, being able to connect with God relationally, all that is only possible if uh, we don't fall prey to temptation and we're delivered, in fact, from evil. But this particular prayer, it's kind of a safety net prayer. It's a prayer of protection. Uh, And to appreciate this, I think you kind of have to grasp like the devil's role on planet Earth. You know, when he was hurled from heaven to Earth, uh, everything changed. He infected and affected, he infected man and he affected all of the world's systems um, adversely. And so you and I need protection from every kind of influence uh, because of that uh, reality. And so if we fall prey and succumb to temptation, we will not be able to fulfill God's purposes on the earth. Another way to say it is if Satan is successful, in separating us from God in relationship, then it will keep us from the, the, the perfect will of God and the plans of God for our life. <coughs> so he says, Jesus speaking, lead us not into temptation. That's an interesting line, isn't it? That word temptation, I want to take a couple of minutes and unpack some things related to that. The concept of uh, this word that that. That word temptation sometimes in Scripture has a negative connotation and sometimes you'll see a positive uh, spin on it. In other words, when we try to make the uh, distinction between these two words, the two words that are sometimes interchangeable are trials, or you could say tests, trials versus temptation. How do you know which word applies? Well, one of the best ways to know which word applies is the context um, uh, for how the text is being used. So you can tell in this particular text, Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, that it's a negative connotation because it's saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, from evil. And so why would you have to ask God to um, lead you not into temptation when the rest of the Bible says, and we've seen it in multiplicity of places, for example James chapter 1:13 tells us that God doesn't tempt any man. But here in Matthew 6 is a request that He lead us not into temptation. So what you need to know at the outset of this message related to prayer the prayer protection and having a safety net spiritually on your life and God's purposes for your life is God leads you not into temptation he leads you into trials so this particular rendering you have to understand he's leading you not into temptation but he's he but he will lead you into trials trials by definition are adverse circumstances that are designed to develop you and to mature you as a Christian. Trials are adverse circumstance designed to develop you and to mature you. So God will either cause, but in most instances allow, certain um, tests, um, certain trials into your life, into my life to develop you and I spiritually and um, uh, morally. Excuse me. So what God, again, does is he doesn't tempt you, but he will lead you uh, into trials. Now, when God brings a certain issue into your life, a test of some sort, some adverse circumstance, non-favorable circumstance that you don't like, as we mature, we need to interpret that as a trial and not necessarily as a temptation. In other words, not as a mistake created by the hand of man or the hand of Satan in all instances. But actually, it could be there on uh, assignment, in a sense. It could be that God caused it. Why would he do that? Why would he give us a trial to develop us and to mature? So Satan often, this is important, he doesn't want you to see it as a trial because if you don't see it as a trial, then you won't be able to embrace the test or trial and the corresponding uh, benefits and maturity and development that could come from it. Are you guys with me in the chat out there? Okay, so I'm kind of setting the stage here a little bit and I need you to kind of understand a few things. The Bible's clear about what I'm saying, okay? So it might be foreign to you, but it's not foreign in scripture. Isaiah 38, 17 says, your afflictions, therefore you're good, everybody. Um, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, I'll just summarize that it basically is, in trial, God calls your faith, to the witness stand. It's, it's, a, it's a test, you know, and your faith is being tested. So, write this down if you're taking notes. This is kind of bonus as I set up today's kind of message. Um, a trial is designed to develop you, but a temptation is designed to defeat you. A trial is designed to develop you. A temptation is designed to defeat you. Now, Satan brings temptation. God brings tests, Satan brings temptations. He brings them, like I've already said, to defeat you and separate you from God. And if he can get you separated, he can be successful in what he's trying to do. But here's the problem. This is so important that you get this. I was teaching this to some pastors just this morning. Trials and temptations often happen around the same event. Another way to say it is, when you're being tested by God, Satan is there to tempt you at the same time around that same potential circumstance. So in most of the things that we deal with, um, it's not necessarily a trial here and a test and a, and a temptation over there. Most times, sometimes it is, but most times they're merged. They're, they're connected. And so when God uses something, either caused by him or allowed by him to test you, what Satan does as the deceiver and the disorder is he will piggyback on that trial and on that test to turn it into an opportunity to tempt you and to defeat you. Are you guys with me right now? This is really good and helpful teaching if you're following. So he'll take something that God was doing that is legitimately in your best interest and for your benefit and for your development and maturation and he'll try to turn it into a temptation you fall prey to to defeat you. So you might say, well, PD, how do I know if it's a trial or if it's a temptation then? I would assume both. I would assume in general, I would assume both are transpiring there. So because of these, the aforementioned here, God, I need you to understand that God, this is tough for some of you because you never heard some of this. God will often use the devil for a trial. He'll, he uses the devil. Okay, to do a lot of his dirty work sometimes. And then the devil will try to use God's, uh, try to use what God did, not use God, but use what God did for himself, for his own selfish purposes and turn that not for good, but for bad. God works everything together for good. The devil works everything together for bad. So let let me show you the marriage of this these ideas that I'm presenting to you. In Matthew chapter 4, one. this is not in your notes, okay, because I had some time to, to think and pray a little more, so I've got some more for you tonight, uh, today, that you didn't get in, maybe in your notes. But in Matthew 4, the Bible says, the Spirit of the Lord led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So God put Jesus in Satan's territory so Satan can mess with Jesus for 40 days, by the way. By the way, a lot of times we look in the, the, the translation of Matthew, it looks like he was just tempted on one day, and, you know, and, he, and, he, and he poses those three big questions, and, and Jesus passes the test with it is written three times, and it's over. Now, Luke 4, we can see that he was tested 40 days straight. He's just pummeled with temptation and or test. It depends how you respond. So in that testing period that God allowed his son to go through, it was so that he could pass the test. Satan's objective is to get Jesus to fail the test. Either way, it's the same test. It's the same situation. It's the same time. It's the same circumstance. Are you guys getting me? So both those things are kind of running concurrently uh, uh, right beside each other every time that we are tested or we are tried. Job chapter 1, paraphrasing what's going on here, Job is... God is bragging about his servant Job and how awesome there's nobody like him. And all the earth and Satan says, yeah, 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 but that's uh, because you give him stuff. And if you took all that stuff away, he would curse you. And so let me take all that stuff away. And so God says, okay, I will let you test him. And what you need to see, though, is Satan doesn't turn around and test him. He turns around and tempts him. He tries to get him to curse God. God uses an opportunity to test Job to see that he would worship God no matter what, whether he was uh, blessed or whether he was, uh, you know, in adversity or, or, or whether he was in blessing, whichever, whatever the circumstances are, like Paul said, I learned to be content with a lot or with a little. And so when life hits you and life hits me... Um, Are you being tested? and You're being tested and tempted is really the question. Um, Let me say it another way. When life hits you hard, you're being tested and tempted. The question is, which way will you go? Which way will you go when those two things are happening? Because they're often happening at the same time, the same event, and the same occurrence. And again, I hate to tell you this, but God will use... Uh, the devil sometimes to develop you and to grow you. In Luke chapter 22, you know uh, when Jesus was dealing with one of his disciples, Peter, one of our favorite candidates in the scripture uh, for telling stories about, talking about. But Jesus was speaking to Peter and said, Hey, do you know, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And um, Peter's like, Peter in the in the text here is basically like, Hey, listen, I know I know you think everybody's going to deny you, but I won't. Everybody else will, but not me. Jesus is like, Oh yeah, you will. Matter of fact, you will deny me three times before, the, you know, the cock crows three, uh, to, you know, tonight. You're going to deny me three times. And he's like, No way, Jose, it's not going to happen. And in so many words, Jesus says, I'm going to let I'm going to let this happen to you. I'm going to let this test, this trial break you down because I will break you. If I don't let it break you, I can't make you into who God's called you to be. Uh, A pillar in uh, the kingdom of God, a cornerstone uh, in a sense uh, for the early church. And so when you think, why is the devil doing this to me? It might be because God allowed it to happen or him to do it. So now you know. So back to the Lord's Prayer. In so many words, what Jesus is saying here is, lead me not into any situation that I can't handle. That's what it really, this prayer is saying. In other words, help me overcome any situation I can't handle. And if I have already gotten into a certain situation and I can't handle it, could you get me out of it? Deliver me. That's kind of the... a modern vernacular for this particular text. Now, what I want to give you is I want to give you four supports for the premise of what I was just talking about, tests and temptations. Here's our big idea as we're going forward. Get protection so you can overcome temptation. Get protection by a safety net of prayer so you can overcome temptation. A lot of people don't have successful prayer lives and don't see successful results because of their inability to overcome temptation and, be, and as a result be delivered from evil. So here's some things you need to know. Four prayer principles. Number one, God doesn't tempt anyone. We've already established um, kind of that sometimes he'll test you but not tempt you. But let's just talk about how temptation works. Um, if you want to get really into this, you read James chapter 1. The whole chapter is about temptation. James 1 says... Reading from verse 14 and 15, it says, but each one is tempted when, when he is drawn away by his own desires. One translation, New King James says lusts and enticed. Okay. Then, so it's when, this is how it happens. When, then, when his desire has conceived, we'll come back to that. It gives birth to sin. And when it's full grown, it brings forth death. So you can see in this one two verse little segment here, the pattern for temptation. But the pattern always starts, the beginning of this pattern starts with your desires, my desires. Um, It's kind of like desire and lust can be interchangeable, similar to tests and temptations in a way. But what Satan does is he distorts things. He creates a craving That is outside of the will of God. He can take a good thing and make it your God thing. In other words, God doesn't mind that you have loves. He just doesn't want you to have any love, love something more than him. In other words, it doesn't matter. No other gods before me, as it says in the book of Exodus, right? So by the way, parenthetically, this is why we fast and pray, because this is how we break the grip of those cravings. And so the, the allurements, enticements, and the um, baits of Satan, are, are, their power is reduced and diminished because we have detached ourselves more from the world during this period and we have increased our attention and affection uh, to the things of God. Amen. I think for those of you who are fasting and praying with us this week, you know that to be true, and it's so wonderful. But remember the garden all the way in the beginning where... Um, Satan made, uh, kind of, how did, how did Satan trap or, excuse me, entice um, Eve? Not by some blatant overt sin. I need you to smoke, chew, and run with girls who do. That's not what he did. No. He said, uh, hey, if you eat of this fruit, you'll be like God, right? Um, the Bible says the fruit, when she looked upon it, it was desirable, desirable. So who did that? Who created those conditions? It was Satan in the garden. Now listen, Satan has servants that have been assigned to you and assigned to me. Let me make it real graphic. There's a demon that has been assigned to you that knows what you like, that knows what you want, that knows how you think, that knows where you're going to be at a certain time and place. And that, that servant of Satan, that demonic spirit will work very hard to create a craving for you to fall into temptation. And what happens a lot of times as Christians is we dumb it down and we pretend that it's not a big deal or we don't really look at how bad or how real that reality is. And so Satan starts with the desire. Um, he... He hides the hook. He puts something appealing out there uh, that looks good, that looks sometimes even godly, and he won't show you the hook because he knows you'd swim right away. But he'll get you to take a bite of that thing, and then he'll get you with the hook, and before you know it, uh, you're hooked, and he's, he's slicing and dicing you up. And um, if he came out up front with it, you would run. And so the Bible says when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. A pregnancy takes place of some kind. And the fact is that, let me say something good to you, because um, this is kind of gloomy. Here's, here, here's, here's, a, here's a fact about our flesh, okay? Um, the fact that your flesh wants to sin is not the problem, okay? Because that is what the flesh does. That's the flesh... That's the flesh nature. The flesh uh, always has things that it wants. And James is simply saying, acting on what the flesh wants is the problem. Amen. And so in one sense, you can feel better knowing that when your flesh is acting fleshy, it's okay. It's okay, in essence, to be tempted. It's not okay to give in uh, to that temptation. Our misunderstanding about that, I just feel like I need to say this, something about this. Coming to me now, our misunderstanding about our under our misunderstanding about temptation not being a sin is often what keeps us from vulnerability with God, with our spouse, and with godly influence, because we don't want to admit that we're struggling with temptation because of that misunderstanding. But if if it was understood that temptation clearly in our spirit, in our knower, then we wouldn't have a problem when we're tempted. So, and we might be more, and that it's not wrong to be tempted. We might be more prone to talk about it when we are. So, it's when you act on it, okay? One slice, a desire for an entomans Danish is not the problem. One slice is probably not the problem. A whole Danish, that's the problem everybody, okay? And so that's when we get in trouble. So, when you make the decision to act on it, that is when sin is conceived. And when this is accomplished, this is what the scripture is really saying. You're going to have a baby. And the baby's name is death. Death. It brings forth death every time, all the time, every situation. Now, it's not death in a coffin. Nail it, bodies. No. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they lived many, many years after that. It's not... Death in the Bible is not non-existence. Death in the Bible is separation. God wants you to see... The greatest, the worst thing that could ever happen to you is not you die. The worst thing that could ever happen to you is being separated from Him. Number two, God won't mislead you. So why would we ever have to pray, God, lead us not into temptation if He's not possibly maybe misleading us, right? So James chapter 1, verse 2 says, My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. This is that word with that kind of broader meaning that's connected to Matthew 6, and knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So, would God ever lead us into a trial or a test? Yes, absolutely, 100%. But now I want you to know why. And I want you to think about this, because this is important to you. I know I told you to develop you, and Satan tempts you to defeat you, but let's go a little bit deeper now. God led his own son into a time of trial and blessing by the way, and Satan was right there waiting for him. And God knew this was going to happen, okay? Question is why? He did this for, he did this for the good of his son. He did this for the good of his son. Let's look at what the Bible teaches us about this, okay? In Luke four fourteen, after a period of testing in the wilderness for 40 days, every day, Satan, boom, 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 buffeted him over and over and over again. The Bible says after that, Jesus returned. In the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the news of him went throughout all the surrounding regions. So he became stronger and more influential as a result of the testing that God allowed, permitted um, to happen for his son Jesus. Are you with me, everybody? So sometimes we don't see the other side of the test and the blessing. In fact, your promotion, your elevation, your growth your next lid lifting moment is not going to be connected to a success from the past but a test from and from the now and into the future god wants to use want, wants you to see that he's using these things to develop you and even to promote you so jesus praise god he becomes a man to show us how to trust and rely on god's power and protection all right and just like us. And I think we forget that sometimes. <clears throat> the second thing, the second reason why else would he do that is he did it for, for his son. But he also did it for us. Can I have an amen? He did it for us. God let his own son into a test not to fail but to succeed as we've established already so that his success would encourage us, benefit us, strengthen us, that we too can overcome testing and trials. Why? I'll get to the why in a second. First, though, just think about this. I remember many years ago taking my senior life-saving course. I think I was 13 years old. Two big things that you had to do. One, you had to drag this enormously human, enormous human being across 50 yards across the pool, uh, pulling him and and, uh, swimming with him. That was brutal. But worse for me was you had to go off the high dive. I don't know why that was part of the training, just to overcome fear. And I remember, I don't think I can do it. But once I saw my friend do it, My friend went first, and because of that, I believed and I knew I could do it too. Jesus was the first person to go off the high dive and face every temptation, every situation, every circumstance that you are afraid of, that you don't think you can handle, that you don't think you can overcome. I want you to know that's why God allowed his son to be tested so you could be encouraged that you didn't have to go first. He went first. And so in addition, he was tempted according to scripture. Hebrews 2.18, Hebrews 4.15. I'll read Hebrews 4.15 first. It says this, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. Okay, so number one, we'll come back to sympathize because that's critical in a second. But he, he was tempted in every area of life. I don't know if that that sometimes resonates with you. A reason you can go to Jesus, your elder brother, your intercessor, your mediator, your savior, your Lord, when you, in prayer for help, is because he faced every temptation you faced, okay? Yet, according to scripture, without sin, he never crossed the line. Hebrews 2.18 says, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted. It's, it's there's a suffering with that. He is able to aid those who are tempted. So did you know that Jesus can help you through temptation? Do you realize that? And why can he help you? Because he went through it. Whatever it is that you are facing, he went through that already and he went through it successfully. Now the Bible says he doesn't empathize with us. The Bible says he sympathizes with us. Why is that important? Because you don't want a savior who empathizes. You want a savior who sympathizes. Now what's interesting a lot of times is, and this is just a modern observation that I've made over many years. In therapy situations, a lot of times people are geared uh, towards helping people but they want to use this identification principle as their primary tool to support them, help them, and get them free. But it's often, again, overrated, overstated. Because it's really only half the solution. Because at at best, it just makes you feel better doesn't necessarily make you better. This is why I say, Jesus didn't empathize, Jesus sympathized. So here's what I mean. I believe, and I believe when you hear this, you will believe by faith that Jesus qualifies to counsel you, to support you, because he's an authority on temptation, not because he empathizes, but because he sympathizes, because he never crossed the line. He never failed. He never gave in. He understood what it felt like to be tempted to do it, but he never did it. There's this assumption that we will always understand the light we need to get us free from a position of darkness. See, because I experienced the darkness, I can help you better receive the light? No. See, Jesus got right up to, confronted darkness, but never crossed the line into darkness, successfully navigated that, overcame that, and that's why he's an authority on it. He has the authority not just on it, but over it. He doesn't just understand it. He knows how to beat it. He can show you, and he can turn around. He can understand you, and he can help deliver you. Come on, can I have an amen? That is a huge point. All right, number three. I love that last point. I want to stay there all day, but I can't. Number three, God will deliver us. He'll deliver us from temptation if we allow him. That's what this Bible verse is saying. (coughs) The text that complements James chapter 1 is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I memorized this when I was eight, maybe younger, 15 to 18 years old. It says, no temptation has seized you. One translation says, overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Now watch what he does. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And here's the second promise in the verse. But with that temptation will also make a way of escape so that you can stand up under it or you can bear it. So here's two promises when temptation comes from God's word. Number one, he will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to handle. you got to accept from God's word that if you're being tempted in a certain area, God will not. In other words, he'll put a timestamp on it. He'll put certain restrictions on it. If the devil's tempting you, he'll only let him tempt you just so far. If he'll, he'll, he won't let you have more than you can handle. The second thing we see from this verse is God will in every temptation. I love this. Come on, everybody. He'll make a way of escape. So here's the summary. God will deliver me if I'll let him deliver me. God will deliver me if I let him deliver me. How do I do that? Through prayer, but also through a revelation on how temptations and tests work. 2 Peter 2.9, if this is so, then the Lord who knows how to rescue the godly from trials, I'm sure glad he does because I don't, and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Matthew 6.13, so when you pray, pray this way. Then he tells them something different. That he's told him. Then the the previous four principles. He says, "Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." This is the safety net of prayer that God has us for. So summarize. What have we learned? God doesn't tempt anyone. He's not misleading us. Satan is the tempter. God is the tester. Sometimes you all know that when temptation comes, God will provide protection. You all know that he'll give you a way of escape. Okay, but you have to invite him in to receive his help. Here's another way to say it. If you don't, Christians, I'm just telling you, you're going to be in trouble a lot. You're going to be beaten up a lot. And that's what is happening a lot is because we don't Know how to pray as Jesus instructs us how to pray. Now, let me give you an example of this way of escape. Um, God will go out of his way to provide ways of escape. And sometimes we turn the volume down, we close our eyes, um, and, or we don't recognize what he's doing. Do you know, I can remember one time I, was, I had witnessed to this girl from my gym. And in order to keep my relationships pure, a lot of times I'll come right out with the fact that I'm married, I'm a Christian, sometimes even a pastor. <clears throat> and this particular girl, um, she, um, she gets saved. I lead, her to, I lead her to Christ. I invite her to church. She gets water baptized. Listen to this. Baptized in the Holy Spirit, becomes an active member of this church and go into small group. And we saw each other a lot at the gym. And I remember one day talking to her in a parking lot right around the corner from here. It was very, very late one night, kind of very near the gym, just shy of where my car was parked. And I just want to be transparent. I had this feeling that she was looking at me a little different. And um, guys are a little slow on the draw on this. I just asked my wife. And she said a couple of things that I could have taken the wrong way. And I think you know what I mean by that. And then right in the middle of that, the Holy Spirit starts he starts knocking on the uh, on my on my door, so to speak, knocking on my head, really. And he's like, he's like, "Leave now. Get. I want you. To tell her you have to go." And I'm thinking to myself, like, that would be rude. Like, I just can't get her. She's right in the middle of a you know deep conversation, and but then I felt my heart rate start to increase. I start feeling a little like uncomfortable. I could feel there was an intensity going on there. I was struggling with my flesh, like to somehow do what I needed to do and not feel weird and awkward about it. And in my head, I prayed, God, deliver me. <laughs> and right then, a Christian friend of mine was driving by the gym, and he beeps his horn, rolls down, what's up, PD? Beep, beep. And that was all I needed to break. And I just, I just knew that was deliverance. I just said, hey, I got to go. I'm sorry. It's great talking to you. I'll see you later. And man, I just took off, just totally took off. I was startled, um, but at the same time, I was rescued. God made a way of escape. God will deliver you if you don't tune Him out, if you don't shut Him down, if you don't kind of push Him away. Can I have an amen out there? Which leads me to my fourth and final point. If I will pray, if I will pray. Now, I think God does His part. If we'll do our part, we'll actually pray. I hope during this week of prayer and fasting and over the course of this year that you your appetite to pray, your hunger and thirst after righteousness, which was my theme for this fast this week, um, your first reflex and first response is that you would pray about anything and everything. I want to show you this uh, kind of parallel text to Matthew chapter 6, <coughs> verse 13, where... We see lead us and deliver us show up in the Old Testament as well. Psalm 119, 133 says, Direct my steps by your word, lead me. And let no iniquity have dominion over me, deliver me. Jesus has been telling his followers from the beginning in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and by his Spirit, and even by his word today, lead me, God. And please also deliver me. But what sometimes gets lost, that we see in the garden of Gethsemane, is our responsibility to overcome this temptation. Matthew 26:41 says, "Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation." We often remember the second part of that verse that we, we don't give into temptation, but we forget the first part of the verse that says you and I have to watch and pray. We have to stay sober-minded. We have to stay diligent and fervent in our prayer life with God. The way to overcome fundamentally all temptation and all the allurements and all the baits and all the cravings and all the enticements of the enemy is you've got to pray. Pray. I'm not talking about complain to God. I'm talking about pray to God. When Jesus himself prayed, it's another model of prayer, but in John chapter 17, verse 15, he said, my prayer is that you protect them from the evil one. In other words, I don't want, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, it says. In other words, don't keep them from trial and testing, but that you protect them from the evil one. This was Jesus' safety net prayer for us. Because I don't want you to pluck them from the world because that's how they're going to grow and that's how they're going to be developed. But I am, but I am asking that you protect them. But it's my prayer for them. Jesus is even praying for you. Will you pray to him? He's praying for you. The, the exact same thing that we've been saying over and over and over again is, Lord, don't take them from trials and tests, but deliver them from, from them all. See, that's what God wants to do is not remove the test, but he wants to deliver you from the test, which proves how you can trust him. and also just develops you. What does it say in Psalm 34, 19? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord, what does he do? He delivers you out of them all. Uh, One translation says the righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each and every time. You know, I had a pastor recently come to me and say, what is who's a young pastor. He says, what is, what is the, one of the biggest challenges for you as you lead the local church? And I would say, and I said to him, one of the biggest challenges is spiritual warfare. The scale of the challenges that are in the local church and when you're kind of in the problem solving business, it's way beyond your capacity. Undoubtedly, you have times in your life where you feel the weight of the world and the problems of this world and you can't handle them all. Listen, this is a recipe, not a recitation, for you to apply to your situations and your circumstances in life. Don't ask God to take away the tests. Ask God to deliver you through them all. Can I have an amen? With every head bowed and every eye closed wherever you are, I just want to pray for you because I believe God wants to uh, help you in and through temptation and deliver you from evil. Father, in Jesus' name, for every person within the sound of my voice, I pray, God, on the front end, you would keep people. Lead them not into temptation, Lord. But Lord, I also pray if they've fallen and they've gotten into a mess, that you deliver them from it. Deliver them from evil in Jesus' name. I thank you, God, that you're a redeeming God, you're a gracious God, and that you are so merciful to us. And I just pray Uh, for people, that you give them a newfound strength because of revelation, knowledge, truth that we know, giving us the ability and power to be free. I thank you, God, that we serve a Savior who doesn't empathize but sympathizes with us as an authority on freedom and overcoming and and facing trials and tests successfully. I thank you, God, that we have you as our model and as our example. And for the person who maybe doesn't know uh, the Savior on a personal level, Maybe that's you right now, wherever you are. Would you just take a moment right there? Maybe it's in your seat. Maybe it's in your car and you even need to pull over and find a way to be still and just kind of settle yourself for a second. Listen, I want to pray for you because you have this incredible opportunity, but it's not always going to be there where you could come to and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the mediator between God and man, 1 Timothy 2.5. There's one mediator between God and you, and that's Jesus. So for you to be back in relationship, whether restored or for the first time, with God, the question is, what did you do with his son? Have you accepted Jesus is that bridge between you and God? That's why he came, friend. That's why he came from heaven to earth, so you could be in relationship with him. But you have to accept that that's why he came. That his mission was not just to save humanity, but to save you. If you're ready to receive that gift, that offer, that assignment was to see you in right right relationship with God, would you pray with me right now? Would you just say this from your heart in full faith? Just say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you right now. Today is the day that my life changes. It's never going to be the same again after this point. I'm making a decision not only to accept by grace through faith what Jesus did for me, but I'm making a decision to become a disciple, a follower of Him. And Lord, I pray that whenever I face trials and temptations, you show me how to differentiate, distinguish between the two. May I embrace the tests and trials and may I overcome the temptations. And I know just like Satan's there, you're there also for me from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you just made that decision, would you text um, CC Saved to 97000? We want to help you on your spiritual journey. Somebody would like to pray with you right now in a chat room and kind of lead you into your next steps. We want to help you on our online campus in any way we can. But until next week, I'll see you as we continue our series, Stop Praying It Safe. God bless you.